All right, I'll give you one guess. You tell me where we're going to be at today. Yeah, in Daniel. Very good. Yes, we're going to be in Daniel. And it's interesting how Daniel has something to say about Remembrance Day and how the book of Daniel ties into Remembrance Day. Now, what was World War I and World War II fought over? I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about, you know, philosophies or ideals or anything like that. But, you know, when you kind of get down to the brass tacks and the nitty gritty and just down to the, the, the bare bone basics, what was World War I and World War II fought over? Freedom. Freedom. Yes. Essentially, it was fought over the preservation of a free and democratic society and against assimilation into a dictatorial despotic dynasty. And that's what it was all about. It was about freedom. It was about preservation of said freedom. And it was about the opposition to being assimilated into the enemy forces because they were a dictatorship. They were a socialistic, communistic dictatorship. Now, in World War I, approximately 15 to 22 million people lost their lives. That's almost staggering to think about. And in World War II, 19 to 28 million people lost, our li- lost their lives. And some of them we know. Some of them we are related to. We're talking about our fathers and our mothers, our grandfathers and our grandmothers. We're talking about our cousins and, and our aunts and uncles. And, and we're talking about our children and grandchildren. We're talking about those who, who, who died in the war from our families that we know. Our brave men and women, our sons and daughters and fathers and mothers willingly paid the ultimate price to ensure the preservation of our free society against being assimilated into a dictatorship where no one is free, where nothing is free. Now, we're in the book of Daniel, and Daniel is all about the Babylonian captivity, where Judah and the tribe of Judah, along with Benjamin, a little bit of Benjamin and some of Levi, were taken off into Babylon, into Babylonian captivity. And to understand Babylon, Babylon of Daniel's day, as well as the Greco-Syrians, which uh, are talked about in the intertestamental periods between Malachi and Matthew, they were similar regimes that we fought against in World War I and World War II. Babylon and the Greco-Syrians were all about assimilation. Taking you, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your religion is, no matter what your culture, no matter what your language is, just taking you and making them like they are. Assimilating you into their language, into their thought process, into their philosophy, into their religion, into their culture. Now, to put this in terms that the younger generation can understand, the Babylonians and the Greco-Syrians were like the Borg of Star Trek. For those who don't know, the Borg were these, was a cybernetic race. They were half organic and half machine. And they would take over worlds and assimilate the population, turning them into Borg drones with no freedom, with no individuality. The Borg would assimilate and conquer races and take their knowledge and distinctives and add them to their own. And their slogan was, resistance is futile. In other words, you can't stop this. We are bigger, badder, more powerful than you. We've got more technology than you. Hey, we've assimilated all the knowledge of all the races and worlds that we've conquered. How can you even stand against us? And it seemed very well in many cases that resistance was futile. 
Whether you're talking about the Nazis or whether you're talking about, you know, uh, other, other enemy forces we fought in the two world wars. Whether you're talking about that or whether you're talking about Babylon or the Greco-Syrians of, of Scripture. They were bigger, badder nations. They had more firepower, more technology. They, had more, they were more in tune to the devil because a lot of them operated under occultic means. So, you know, we were blown away when we had to stand up against these forces. How could you stand against it? And in some cases, Israel fell as a result of these forces. Israel fell. Judah fell because of the Babylonians. Israel fell because of the Greco-Syrians. The ten tribes fell because of Assyria. And so we find Daniel and his friends into, in Babylon. And every people group the Babylonians conquered essentially became Babylonians. I don't care if you were born a Jew. I don't care if you were born a Hebrew. I don't care if you were born a Jebusite, a Hittite, a Canaanite. doesn't matter. You're not that anymore. You are Babylonian. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 5, we see that. That was the whole mission. Uh, so it says, The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. And this is what I want to get to. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. They were trained for three years. In other words, they were indoctrinated. They were put into an indoctrination program. That's what the three years of Babylonian training was all about. It was propaganda. It was indoctrination. It was brainwashing. Forget about who you were. Forget about how you were born. Forget about what you believe. Forget about the God you serve. Forget about your morals, your philosophy, your worldview. It doesn't matter because now you're Babylonian. And, this, and, and Daniel and his friends could not be brainwashed. They could not be indoctrinated. They questioned everything they were taught. They didn't reject it, but they took what they were taught uh, by the Babylonians and they, they paralleled it or they weighed it out according to the scriptures that they knew that they were in their hearts. And they weighed out what they were going to take in and what they were going to say. It's like eating a piece of fish. You eat the meat and you spit out the bones lest you choke, right? And this very thing happened in the book of Maccabees under the evil Greco-Roman, uh, 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 Greco-Syrian empire. Now, a lot of times you hear like the, the, the books of the Apocrypha or, or the Maccabees and you're like, oh, that's kind of strange. I, only Catholics read that or whatever. But the books of Maccabees, it takes place during the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. I was taught in Bible college that there were 400 silent years between the Testaments, between Malachi and Matthew. I don't believe that's true. Because a, a very thorough history that fills in the gap of the 400 years is in the book of Maccabees. And the original King James Version of the Bible included the apocryphal books and the books of Maccabees. And so when people first started getting that translation of the Bible, they got these, these uh, apocryphal books. Which Maccabees could be compared to 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So let me read to you what went on during that time in 1 Maccabees, chapter 1, verses 10 through 15, it said the wicked ruler Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. Who's that? What's that name mean? Doesn't mean anything to me. Epiphanes means that he was the incarnation of God himself. That's what Epiphanes means. 
The wicked ruler Antiochus Epiphanes, son of King Antiochus III of Syria, was descendant of one of Alexander's generals. So we're talking about Alexander the Great here. Antiochus Epiphanes had been a hostage in Rome before he became king of Syria in the year 137. At that time, there appeared in the land of Israel a group of traitorous Jews who had no regard for the law, had no regard for the Torah, the five books of Moses, and who had a bad influence on many of the people. They said, let's come to terms with the Gentiles, for our refusal to associate with them has brought us nothing but trouble." This proposal appealed to many, and some of them were so enthusiastic about it that they went to the king and received from him permission to follow Gentile customs. They built in Jerusalem a stadium like those in the Greek cities. We're talking about, you know, an arena, a gymnasium. Now, get this. This is how far they went to wipe the slate clean of their Hebrew Jewish roots and heritage. And this is how far they went. They had an operation performed to hide their circumcision. Yeah, I see all the guys cringing out there. How did they do that? They attached weights to whatever foreskin was left to stretch it out to create a new foreskin. That's how far they went. Why did they do this? All because of the gymnasium. What does the gymnasium have to do with it? Well, when I go to the gym, I wear shorts and I wear a tank top. But when they went to the gym, they went in the buff. They wore nothing but their birthday suit. So it was pretty obvious to tell who was Gentile and who was not. They had an operation performed to hide their circumcision, abandoned the Holy Covenant, and started associating with the Gentiles and did all sorts of other evil things. So you had a group of Jews that were willing to give up God's laws, their association with God, their worship of God, their Hebraic Jewish ways, and fully assimilate themselves into the Greco-Syrian culture of that day. And another account is given in 2 Maccabees chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. It says, Later, when King Seleucus died, and Antiochus, known as Epiphanes, became king, Jason, the brother of Onassis, uh, became the high priest by corrupt means. means he bought his way into the priesthood. He, uh, he went to see the king and offered him 12,000 kilograms of silver with 2,700 more kilograms to be paid later. There you go. Jason also offered him an additional 5,000 kilograms of silver with the authority to establish a stadium where young men could be trained and enrolled, enroll the people of Jerusalem as citizens of Antioch. The king gave his approval just as soon as Jason took over the office of high priest. He made the people of Jerusalem change to the Greek way of life. He began by abolishing the favors that John had secured for the Jews from previous Syrian kings. John was the father of, I um, uh, can't pronounce this name, uh, Alephamus, who later went to Rome to make an alliance and to establish ties and friendship. Jason also did with other Jewish did away with other Jewish customs and introduced new customs that were contrary to the law. So this high priest, we're talking about a high priest, a, a Levitical priest, who was supposed to tote the line and, and, and educate the people on the five books of Moses and on the customs and traditions of the Jewish people. 
He bought and bribed his way to the priesthood, and then he said, nah, we're going to toss this out, and we're going to have a new ball game. We're not going to be Jewish anymore. We're going to be Greek. We're not going to be Jewish anymore. We're going to be Gentile. And it said that he changed the laws and the customs. The laws and the customs. Boy, don't we read about something like that in the book of Daniel? In the book of Daniel, it's talking about the Antichrist. How he's going to come on the scene and change the laws, the seasons, and the customs. So when we're talking about assimilation, we're talking about giving into Antichrist doctrine and giving into the Antichrist spirit. Jason also did away with our Jewish customs and introduced new customs that were contrary, which means opposite of, the Torah, the law. With great enthusiasm, he built a stadium near the Temple Hill and led our finest young men to adopt the Greek custom of participating in athletic events because of the unrivaled wickedness of Jason, that ungodly and illegitimate high priest. The craze for the Greek way of life and for the foreign customs reached such a point that even the priests lost all interest in the sacred duties. They lost interest in the temple service and neglected the sacrifices. Just as soon as the signal was given, they would rush off to take part in the games that were forbidden by the law. Nothing wrong with sports, but there's a lot wrong with participating and playing these sports in the nude. They did not care about anything their ancestors had valued. They prized only Greek honors. And they turned out to be the source of all their troubles for the very people whose ways they admired and whose customs they tried to emulate became their enemies and oppressed them. It is a serious thing to disregard God's law. Let me repeat that. It is a serious thing to disregard God's law as you will see from the following events. And the narrative goes on. The Maccabees were much like the Allied forces of World War I and II, fighting against the assimilation and the preservation, fighting for the preservation of the godly way of life. Kind of like the crew of, uh, of the Starship Enterprise, the Maccabees successfully resisted. So assimilation wasn't a sure thing. Resistance was not futile. They fought against that. They stood against that. Now, on a cloudless night, when you go outside and look up, is it the inky black void of space that you notice? Of course not. You don't go say, oh, wow, what a gorgeous, dark, swarthy night this is. No. You, you, it's the moon, it's the stars, it's the airplanes and the satellites that whiz by and the space station. It's those things that you notice. Why? Because they, they either emit or they, they uh, um, reflect light. You don't notice the inky blackness. You notice the light. That's what you notice. Now, an egg is pretty bland and tasteless. Even Job said so in Job 6, verse 6. But if you put butter in that cast iron skillet, you add a little salt and pepper, boy, that egg will just pop with robust flavor. We are to be salt and light. We are to be like the stars in the inky blackness of night. And we are to be like the salt that brings flavor to an egg. And our Lord and Savior, Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ, said to us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, But you are the salt of the earth. 
Salt just doesn't give flavor, it preserves. It's a preservative. You're out in the wilderness, salt is like gold. That used to be a type of currency, is salt. Because you can use it to preserve meat when you dry it. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt shall lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Just as salt is a preservative, we are to be preservatives. Preservatives of what? What are we preserving? God's laws, God's way of life against the worldly indoctrination that's totally contrary to God's laws. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father which is in heaven. Be salt and light. Be a salty Christian. Be a a, a preserver of our traditions and of our ways and of God's laws. Daniel and his friends were like salt. They were preserving the Hebraic heritage of their faith. In Daniel 1.8, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. And in Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 16, we read, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know as king that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. And in Daniel chapter 6, beginning at verse 6, we read, So the administrators and the satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors and the governors had agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty... Establish the edict and sign the document so that, as the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which is revocable and cannot be changed, so King Darius signed the edict into writing. Daniel stood up against this. He would not, he didn't stop praying for 30 days. What does it say that Daniel did? When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got on his knees and prayed and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. He was fighting against assimilation into the the, the Persian way of life that King Darius was trying to establish, and at the same time he was preserving the way of life of the Hebrew culture which they pray towards the east because that's where the temple mount is. That's where the temple used to stand. Three times a day because it's traditional for Jews to pray morning, noon, and night. Three times a day. He wasn't going to give up his customs, his traditions, and what God said was right and what God said was wrong. 
If you are a believer, you are to be in the world, but not of it. We read in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of this world, I have chosen you out of it. The world hates you. Don't be surprised that the world hates you because you're a Christian. Because you go against what they are for. And it says in John 17, 14, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We're supposed to be, we're called Christians, which means Christ-like. And if we're Christ-like, we're to be like Christ. And if we're like Christ, then that means the world's going to hate us that much more. If they went so far as to crucify Yeshua, then what do you think they're going to do to us if we look like him and act like him and talk like him and minister to like him and do everything like him? He is our template of a perfect human being who kept the commandments of God perfectly. And we are to walk in the footsteps of Yeshua our Messiah by walking and following in his word. It says in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, uh-oh. I'm not so sure you want me to read this. Okay, I'll go ahead. The love of the Father is not in him. Did you catch that? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the world and the love of the Father cannot occupy the same space in your spirit. There's only room for one. And it's up to you to determine who will occupy that space in your spirit. Now, I brought a very controversial topic to the table, uh, you know, where, you know, I said, you know what? We're more powerful than Satan. (gasps) People kind of gasped, what do you mean? Well, you know, Satan couldn't dethrone God. He got kicked out of heaven. But we, we can dethrone God. Not saying that we can ascend to the heaven and kick God off his throne. But where is God's throne on earth? It's in our hearts. He sits on the throne of our hearts, and we are the only ones that can allow him to sit on the throne of our hearts and be ruler and God of all. Or we can kick him off and say, no, I love the world too much. I love my name, my fame, my fortune, my toys, my gadgets, my reputation. I love the the, the titillation that the world brings. So I'm going to sit on the throne. So we, unlike Satan, we actually have the power to dethrone God in our hearts and our lives. And that is, a, that is an awesome, awesome thing to think about. A privilege that saint doesn't even have. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And in James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Well, that's what the whole meaning of do not be unequally yoked together. It means you, you cannot be in partnership with the world. Your two different cogs in the teeth don't mesh up. They don't line up. It's not going to work. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't have it both ways. 
In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Reputation, power, authority, money, fame, fortune, all the women, all the gadgets in the world. Yeah, it's fun for a short time. It's like a roller coaster ride. You know, you wait in line for an hour to scare the pants off you for a minute. And you get that thrill for, for a minute. And then you walk away and you're like, I stood in line for that. And that's how fast our life is over. It's over in a minute. And you enjoy the things of this world in, a, in, in short as a minute. But what does it profit if you have it all but lose your own soul? You can have everything materialistically. You can be the, a genius, the smartest guy on the planet, the smartest guy in the room. You can have all the money at your disposal and all the conveniences and gadgets at your disposal. But guess what? You're still going to be empty because you lose your soul when you, when you cling to material things. Why do you think famous people commit suicide all the time? And I know I've brought this before, but... To me, I was so heartbroken because it was such a gruesome way to die. Robin Williams, on top of the comedic world. I mean, he did Mork and Mindy. He did one hit movie after another. He could be serious. He could be hilarious. He was the total package of an actor. But he was one of the saddest souls on the face of the earth. He had a name. He had a reputation. He had fame. He had fortune. He had money. And he ended it all by putting a belt around his neck and slowly choking himself out. It's not like taking a gun and, and, and blowing your head off. You're dead in an instant. He, he suffered. He died a slow, agonizing, painful death. Why? He had everything. How could you not be happy when you have it all? Because he lost his soul. The material things could not fill that gap and that void that's in every single one of us. We are born incomplete. We are born with a God-shaped hole in our heart. And many of us spend a lifetime trying to fill that hole and cram that hole with everything but God. I'll pick on my brother Michael Chase. He'll tell you. Alcohol, drugs, women, parties, being the life of the party. And he just kept shoving and shoving and shoving and shoving and shoving. And he was miserable. And I'll never forget what Mike told me. Maybe I should get you to get up here and give your testimony. But he was, he was after a bender. He was at the old Singer sewing machine of his mom's. And he just looked like death warmed over. And his mama said, oh, Michael, you must really hate yourself, don't you? <laughs> And it was that day that he came and, 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 and gave his life and heart to the Lord because he tried it all and it wasn't fulfilling. And he realized he had that God-shaped hole and the only thing that could fill it is God himself. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now, let me ask you something. There's a lot of bakers out there in our audience. Can you individually see sugar, flour, eggs, milk, butter, and salt within cookie dough? Can you see it in cookie? Why not? Because it all blends together. It's all assimilated. It becomes something new. You, you just can't say, oh, I see, a, I see flour right there. Oh, I see an egg right there. Oh, look, there's a piece of sugar. No, you can't see that because it all becomes cookie dough. But what about chocolate chips? 
Can you see chocolate chips in cookie dough? Why, yes, you can. And even when you put it in the oven and the heat is turned up, it's still a chocolate chip. It doesn't become a part of that cookie dough. Be a chocolate chip in a cookie dough world. Yeah, I need a t-shirt for that. The world wants to form you and put you into its mold. It wants to take everything that you got, everything that you believe, everything who you are, and it wants to blend it into itself, just like the Borg wanted to assimilate all the other uh, knowledge and, and things of other races and just make it into something new. But we've got to stand out. We can't be a part of this world. This world is not our home, as the hymn says. We're just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And the angels beckon me from heaven's open door because I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I feel like a stranger. I feel like an alien in this world because I am. Because once I accepted Jesus Christ, I was born again. And I'm not born of the flesh anymore. I'm born of spirit. I was born into a new reality, a new existence, a new world. I became a chocolate chip in a cookie dough world. So you have the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, and all the other ites you want to throw in there, they lost their distinctiveness and blended into and disappeared into the Babylonian batter. It wasn't just Judah that was carted off into Babylonian captivity. You had the other Canaanite nations that were weaker and not as strong and influential as Babylon that were absorbed, and they fell in step. The Judahites, which Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah and Mishael, which we also know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were a part of and refused to blend in to the Babylonian batter. They stood out and became chocolate chips in a Babylonian batter. Even three years of Babylonian university couldn't change their minds. How many of us can say that about our children and grandchildren who went off to four years of university? They may have left Christian, but did they come back Christian? Maybe they come back liberal, you know, like where they're accepting everything, abortion and, and, and you know, uh, LBGTQ agenda and everything that this world is promoting as good and healthy and right. Did they, did, or did they get assimilated into that? Did they come back agnostic, questioning whether God really even exists? You can't say that about Daniel and his friends. They refused to give in. They refused to be indoctrinated. They refused to be propagandized and refused to blend into the Babylonian batter. They remained chocolate chips. How do you do that? You, 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 God has given you a brain. He has given you an intellect. He has given you a, a way to process information. He's given us a litmus, a litmus test called His Word to bounce everything off of as a soundboard to see what is right, what is true, and what is not. Whatever is not, we toss it out. Whatever lines up with the word, we go with it and we keep it. And we know that Daniel and his Hebrew friends knew the word of God. They had memorized the five books of Moses. They, they were part of the nobility. They probably memorized or had a scroll of the Proverbs. And we know that at least uh, uh, Daniel himself had a copy of the scroll of Jeremiah because he refers to it many times. 
So they knew the word of God. They knew what God expected of them. They knew, therefore, how to be a chocolate chip because they bounced everything Babylonian off the word of God. And whatever came back as batter and cookie dough, they refused. But whatever came back as a a complimentary chocolate chip, they said, yeah, that's what we'll do. And they stood out and refused to blend in. Assimilation was what got Judah in trouble in the first place. In Deuteronomy 18.9, When you enter the land the Lord God is giving you. What land are we talking about? The land, the promised land that the Canaanites, the seven Canaanite nations were squatting on. You know how hard it is sometimes to get a squatter out of an abandoned house or property that's not their own? That was what Israel had to face. So he says, when you enter the land, the promised land that the Canaanites are squatting on, that the Lord God has given you, do not imitate the detestable customs of those nations. We read that in First and Second Maccabees that some traitorous Jews were wanting to be just like the Greeks. They didn't want to rock the boat. They wanted to be battered, Greco-Syrian batter. They, were, they didn't want to be chocolate chips anymore. When you enter the land the Lord God has given you, do not imitate the detestable customs of those nations. And Deuteronomy 28 lays out If you keep God's word and fall in line with God's word and you do your best to be a chocolate chip, I'm going to bless you. But if you become batter of Canaanites or Babylonians or Persians or Greco-Syrians and you become a part of that batter and you walk away from my word and disobey my word, these curses will fall upon you. That's all in Deuteronomy 28. And in Romans 12 too, it says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind you may get this this cookie dough and the chocolate chips within the cookie dough and you roll out the chocolate chip cookie dough and you get like a cookie cutter and you start making these cookie cutter images and you put that into the oven guess what you're going to have a tall loud and proud chocolate chip that goes boop pops right out of the batter and says, you know what? I'm a chocolate chip. I don't care how hot it gets. I don't care the heat that's put upon me. I don't care if you're trying to push me into the mold. I refuse. And I'm going to stand up and be a proud chocolate chip. It pops right through like a little mountain out of that cookie dough batter. And all the the wimpy little eggs and sugar and flour and salt just gets blended in and you don't know what's what anymore. Do not be conformed to this world. And that Greek word conform means to be squeezed and pressed into its mold. But be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. The scripture says over and over, we are to have the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Why, he's the living manifestation of the written word. So his mind is contained between the cover of this book. You know this book. You know the mind of Christ. As we remember and honor the living and the fallen, that sacrifice to ensure our freedom from assimilation and the preservation of our Judeo-Christian way of life. Let us remember that we, like Daniel, though we don't carry guns, we we nonetheless fight against assimilation into this godless world and fight for preservation of God-ordained way of life. What does that look like? What is that going to mean? That may mean you have to stop reading certain magazines. That may mean that you have to stop watching certain television shows. That may mean you have to stop listening to certain bands that you like. That may mean you have to stop hanging around a certain group of people that you're in tight with. 
If you are to remain a chocolate chip in a cookie dough world, I tell you, there's some shows that I absolutely loved. I, I, I'm a Trekkie. I love Star Trek. And when, when Star Trek Picard came out, you know, I was excited, so I watched the first season, got to the very last episode, and the camera's panning out, and they're showing the whole crew, and all of a sudden, two, two of the women characters are sitting at the table, and they're gently rubbing the hands together and looking, looking like lost puppy dogs in each other's eyes. I said, nope, I'm done. I'm not watching that show anymore. I know where that's going. Star Trek Discovery. Boy, they knew how to ruin a franchise. Star Trek Discovery, the same thing. No, you know, it wasn't about space exploration. It wasn't about, you know, alien planets and alien lives and science fiction, this and that. You had a sub-agenda where people on the crew were homosexuals, where people were talking about their lost love that they lost in this battle and all this. And it was, a, it was an LBGTQ agenda. And I said, no, I'm not going to watch it. There's some bands and some music that I really, really like. But when they start preaching with their lyrics and start preaching against the word of God and start praising things like, 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 like uh, putting women down and, 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 and all this other stuff and rebellion and anarchy, it's like I can't listen to it anymore because I don't want it to, to make my mind cookie dough, mush. I'm going to rebel against that. I want to be a chocolate chip. And if that means I have to give up something I love for, for, the, for the love of Christ, I'll do it. Because God means more to me than some rock band. God means more to me than some TV show. God means more to me than some fashion statement. So if I have to sacrifice all the better because I have a mind and I don't want it to be corrupted. Because the more you listen to something, no matter how much you fight against it, the more it's going to change and transform your mind because it's propaganda and it's aimed. It's put to music. It's put to lyrics. It's catchy. And you catch yourself singing those godless lyrics and you don't even know it. And then you're like, oh. And then you start saying, well, that's not so bad. Or, well, that's okay. Maybe God didn't really mean that when he said this in the word of God. Or maybe, maybe. And you start questioning. And I have tons of friends I went to Bible college with that were solid Christians and solid believers. And I see them on Facebook now promoting things that are godless, things that the world loves and that God hates, things that break the heart of God and that the world loves and embraces. What the world accepts as good 20, 50 years ago was considered evil. But now, for some reason, as because time passed, it's all of a sudden okay? It's the flavor of the month. God's word never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, my word never changes. I'm a God that I cannot lie. We can depend on this. It gives us roots, grounding, direction, foundation. Everything else, as the hymn says, is just shifting sand. I got to reposition because now the world believes this way. Whoa, whoa. Ten years later, I got to reposition this way because the world believes this way now. No, I'm going to stand on the word because it is a rock. It is a rock built from truth. And I can stand above the waves. I can stand above the sinking sand. So as we... Remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice this Remembrance Day to preserve the democracy, to deserve, to preserve the freedom that we have and to fight against and to keep us from assimilating into those godless cultures that wanted to take us over. Let's also remember Daniel, that we have that same fight but in the spirit because we wrestle not against flesh and blood 
but against principalities and dark forces and things in the heavenly places. But it's the same fight, though it's not with guns and tanks and bombs. It's with the sword of the word of God. It's, 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 the battleground is our heart. The battleground is our mind. And let's continue to be chocolate chips in a cookie dough world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the consistency of your word. We want to thank you that your word can be depended on, that it can be trusted, that though it's thousands of years old, it's never obsolete. It's never outdated. And the reason being is because even though it deals with different periods in history, different technologies, the subject matter is the same. It's the heart and the soul of mankind, which never changes, which is always the same. Every generation can relate to the same trials, troubles, struggles, and tribulations, Lord. So we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that you loved us enough to give us your divine revelation of your written word so that we know how to to live properly in this world, how to please you and how to preserve ourselves in this world. Lord, this, this world has become intellectually lazy. And they just believe everything that they're told by any authority that, that, that tells it. But Lord, the only authority I go to, the only authority that I can trust is your word because it never changes. It comes from an infinite, perfect, sinless, divine source. You can't say that about news and magazines and music and entertainment of this world. Father, I pray that you would stoke the fire within each and every heart sitting here to be totally sold out to you and to your word and to your way, that we will not assimilate like the traitors Jews of the Maccabean era, that we won't assimilate like the weak-minded Judahites of Daniel's time into Babylon, but we will be chocolate chips in a cookie dough world, that we will stand out and stand in contrast and stand loud and proud of who we are and not apologize for what we believe. Though we're called bigots, though we're called racist, though we're called intolerant, though we're called haters, and none of that's true because we display the love of Christ. And truth sounds like hate to a lot of ears nowadays. So help us to always stand on your word, to always stand on the truth, not to be ashamed of of, of who we are and who you made us and created us to be. And Lord, just as the Allied forces won the battle in World War I and II, against the, 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 the regimes, that the evil regimes that wanted to assimilate us. And now we have that maintenance of freedom of our Judeo-Christian values. May we in the spirit war, just as if our, our existence depended on it, that we would fight against and not assimilate into the things of this world, but preserve our way of life through the word of God. You said, Lord, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. It's all about you, Messiah Yeshua. And we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things and give thanks. In Yeshua's name, amen.